hard to gather together on uh, Mother's Day, isn't it? To be able to spend some time, not only reflecting on mothers, but uh, reflecting on uh, God's Word to us. And we're going to be thinking about Philippians today. Uh, we've been looking at Philippians this term, and we're up to chapter 2 in Philippians. And uh, we've been thinking about what it looks like to be people who live uh, lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus, worthy of Jesus. Uh, just the other day at um, the hot meal kitchen, or the uh, soup kitchen that we've been running in Evans Head, it's just started. And uh, we had our second week last week, and some people from our congregation provided the food for it. And one of the meals that we had there uh, was a pasta dish that was cooked by Mark Ellie. Uh, and as we had that pasta dish, as we ate it, it was, it was lovely. Uh, both the dishes were fantastic. Uh, Lynn made the cottage pie uh, and uh, Mark made the pasta. But in the pasta there was something that just grabbed you. Uh, within the elements that he threw together, there was something underneath it all that gave it a real kick. Uh, there was a particular ingredient that he placed into that meal that without it, it would have been okay, but with it, it gave it a real zing. Now, I'm wondering if you know what it was. No, it wasn't. And I'm not going to tell you because it's Mark's secret. But what it was, <laughs> was a special zing. And with that ingredient in there, it made the dish just jump out at you and grab you. And you thought, wow, this is good. Well, uh, today in the passage that we're going to be looking at, it is a magnificent passage. Uh, it's a passage that we actually sang a little bit earlier. A highest place is the words from Philippians chapter 2. Uh, they believe that in Philippians chapter 2, those verses 5 to 11 were part of one of the first ever songs that was sung by Christians. Uh, that it was actually brought together as a song and then Paul took it and placed it into this part of his letter because it fitted so perfectly. It's a beautiful part of the Bible. There are some wonderful aspects of it. And underneath it is this zinger. Uh, there's this element to this passage that really gives it a lift. And I'm going to be thinking about that this morning, what that element is, and looking at it together. Because over the last couple of weeks we've been seeing, isn't there, that Paul, as he's been writing Philippians, he's also been encouraging them but he's bringing about some character traits that he sees as being great character traits. And Joan mentioned some of them earlier, wasn't it? There was passion. Uh, passion that Paul had for Jesus and passion that Paul had for the people. There was a confidence that Paul had that God had it all sorted. Past, present and future, that God had it all and all was for the glory of Jesus. And then last week we saw the commitment, that character trait of commitment, committed to living a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus. And all those character traits are centred around one key person, aren't they? They're centred around Jesus. They're not just so that we can be nice people, but they're centred and ground in Jesus. Uh, and so today as we come to Philippians 2, we see that this passage flows off that, and we're going to see another character trait. And this character trait infuses and gives lift and gives a zing to the passage. Uh, and so to help us with that, Betty's going to come up and give this passage a zing with her Scottish accent. And she's going to read to us from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Ooh. There we go. 
imitating Christ's humility. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than ourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Passage is not a great part of the Bible. Uh, and did you notice the zinger? Did you notice uh, what goes underneath? You might have got it out of the title almost as well, wouldn't you? Uh, what were, comes out underneath this through, it infuses the whole of this passage. Can anyone tell me what it is? The character trait that we're looking at? Humility, wasn't it? A humility. Uh, the title is not in the Bible, by the way, so I don't think titles that are written in the Bible are there. They're not there. Uh, people put them in there to try and help us see what it is. And in this one, they've done pretty well, haven't they? Uh, the title is Humility, because you see it in a couple of spots, don't you? There's firstly in verse 3, Do nothing out of vain conceit or selfish ambition, rather in humility value others above yourself. Uh, so there's humility that we are to have, and then there's also the humility of Jesus, isn't there? And being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself. Uh, so humility is what goes underneath all of this passage. It's that ingredient that infuses it. That's that ingredient that gives it a zing. And it's an ingredient that Paul has a passion for the people there to have and that Jesus shows us in the way that he lives. And it's crazy because joy, when we see it, uh, when we see humility, it brings joy, doesn't it? When we see humility in others, it brings joy to you. And I don't mean that by... Uh, that pious humility that we see where when we say when someone asks us and talks to us about what's going on and we say oh no it's all because of God or it's because God has done that for us that we palm it off in a sense that's, that's where we're actually saying no 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 we're putting it off onto God but really underneath we're saying oh man they think I'm good don't they Under it, we're actually oh how good I am at being humble I'm being good at humble because I'm palming it off onto God that's a pious humility. That's not the humility Paul's talking about here. That's not the fake humility either, that where we just put ourselves down and say, no, 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 I'm not good enough. People come and compliment us and then we try and take it out by saying, no, we're not good, we can't do that, that's not us. That's fake humility, isn't it? Because actually what we're asking then is for them to keep heaping more praise on us. 
We're actually being fake in our humility to get more praise. And we all do that at times, don't we? We all at times show pious humility, trying to put it onto God, but yet thinking we're good about being humble or making us look worse so that people keep praising us even more. That's not the humility that Paul's talking about here. But when we see someone who's actually gifted or not gifted, who's talented, who's not talented, but someone who can accept that encouragement, accept that praise, but yet not have a big head, not puff themselves up, but who is settled and knows where they're at in Jesus, can accept praise, but know that it's not about who they are. It's about who God is and who Jesus is and are settled in who they are in Jesus. They're not being pious. They're not being fake. Let's accept the fact that they're being praised and encouraged. And that's the type of humility that Paul is talking about here. It's a humility that understands who we are. It's a humility that comes out of knowing who we're living for. Because look what he says right at the very first, doesn't he? He says, therefore. Paul says, therefore. Whenever you see a therefore, you ask the question, what's it there for? Because the therefore is pointing us back to what was just said beforehand, wasn't it? And what did he say beforehand? What's the memory verse? Whatever happens, make sure you live a life worthy of Jesus. And so Paul is saying, therefore, make sure you live a life worthy of Jesus. Now he says, therefore, live a life of humility. Knowing who you are, then live this way. Because what he does, doesn't he, he goes on, he gives four ifs in this passage. Uh, he wants us to encourage us to live that life worthy of Christ. And he wants to say that's how we should live out of that because he wants us to remind us that we are actually citizens of where? We're citizens of heaven, aren't we? We're not citizens of this world. Yes, we live in this world, but we're actually citizens of heaven. Uh, that our passports are marked by Jesus to say that we're in eternity with him. And because we are living a life worthy of cross, because we have our citizenship and our identity in Jesus, then we can start to live a life of humility. What did he say? If, doesn't he? Four times. If you have any encouragement... And if united with Christ, and if you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. That if is not a but, it's an if a certainty. If you're in Jesus from chapter 1, if you're to live a life worthy of him, then you have experienced all these things. You've been united with Jesus. You've experienced his tenderness and compassion. You've experienced his love and you have the spirit. Now you have these things, he says, therefore, make my joy complete. Live humble lives and show that you're united together. You see, I think often our spotlights, remember we were asked that we were to live our lives as spotlights on Jesus, often uh, we live our lives as spotlights on self, don't we? Uh, we like to say who we are and how good we are and people promote who they are and they stand up there and our spotlight actually is on self. But Paul says it should be the opposite to that. Our spotlight is not on ourselves, our spotlight is on Jesus and in doing that we are to live lives of not our selfish ambition and not vain conceit. 
That's hard in the world we live in, isn't it? Because we have all those ads, don't we? You bank. It's all about you. Or me bank it's called, isn't it? The me bank it's called. All about me. Uh, it might be a good bank, I've got no idea, but the undergirding of it is, isn't it, that it's all about you. The undergirding, it's all about who you are and what you do and what you can get. most important person in the world is you. That's why we have a self-indulgent, self-obsessed society that is destroying itself. What does Paul say? Not looking to your own interests, but to each of you, to the interests of others. You see, true joy comes out of having our focus and our interests on the needs of others and not self. That doesn't mean that we don't have to care for ourselves. As Paul says that we know you need to look after your body, you need to be able to do those sorts of things. But where our vision should be and where our focus should be is not on self and who we are, but on how we can serve and love others. And as we do that, then we will find true unity, then we'll find true joy. Have you ever heard of this statement? Take care of yourself because no one else will. My father keeps telling me that all the time. Now that should never be a statement that ever comes out of a Christian's mouth. As a follower of Jesus, that should be an anathema. You know what anathema means? It's never, ever should that be part of our even thinking or saying. It's a lie and it'll destroy us and it's destroying the world. And it takes away joy. You see, Philippians 2.4 says that we are to look out for the interests of other people. That true joy comes, true unity comes, when we're not all about ourselves, vain conceit, uh, selfish ambition, but we're in about others and encouraging others and growing others. That seems contrary to us, doesn't it? such a challenge to our self-centred, self-interest society that we live in. And it's contrary to us too. Isn't it? We, we, it almost grates us, I think, these days to think that we should be thinking of others' interests above ourselves. But Paul says that is what's going to bring unity and that's what's going to bring joy. And Paul's speaking into a church that has, seems to be having a, a whole lot of vision going on. People having going after their own ambitions and their own vain conceits wanting to be their own power, making sure that they're higher and better and splitting off in all these different ways. Now, that's not new, is it? I mean, uh, that happens all around us, doesn't it? We see that in lots of examples in society, but we see lots of examples that in churches where people have decided that they want the power. People decide that they're the ones that need to make sure that they make things happen, that they're the ones that need to be promoted. And when that happens, division divides because people are looking out for themselves and not looking out for others. That's a challenge for us, isn't it? Because it's countercultural. It's quite countercultural. You see, a definition of humility is other orientated commitment that we are committed to others. They're committed to look out to others and to see how we can help and serve others, how we can love others. And it's not out of vain conceit. It's not out of selfish ambition. It's not to make us look better. It's not to make us uh, feel better about ourselves because 
Why don't we need that? What did Paul say at the very beginning? If we're in Christ, if we've experienced his love, if we've experienced his tenderness, if we've experienced his spirit, we don't need anyone or anything else to make us whole. We are whole in him. And don't get me wrong, that's not an easy thing. <laughs> I can say that from the front and we can read it there. And I know many of us out there feel that angst, don't we? That in one sense something else is making up who we are. Could be our job. Could be our family. Could be our prestige. You name it. And that hurts us, doesn't it? And that destroys us and that actually eats at us. But if we can be completely in Christ and understand that and experience that and know that, then we're free to be humble people. Because we don't have to build ourselves up. We don't have to promote ourselves. We're already promoted into the citizenship of heaven in Jesus. And Paul says... He wants us to be humble, but he wants us to be other person-centred and he wants us to see that is how Jesus lived and who Jesus is. And that's where that beautiful passage from verse 5 down to verse 11 comes in. And in those first few verses, in verses 5 to 8, I can't unpack it all for you, but can I encourage you to go home and unpack that and even just contemplate each little part of that. Because in each little phrase is a whole world of information, of wonderful theology about who Jesus is. And the big word that people use to put verse 5 to 8 into one word, it's called the incarnation. It's when Jesus emptied himself from being with the Father, being in eternity, comes and takes on humanity who comes and lives in and amongst us and becomes like us that's almost beyond comprehension isn't it that the god of the universe decides that he's going to enter into our neighborhood christ who being very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. You see, the incarnation is Jesus. God comes into our neighbourhood. Now that's a big concept, isn't it? The creator of the universe, the one that holds it all together, the one that sustains it, enters into this world and takes on our form. That's phenomenal. God with flesh on is Jesus amongst us. And it's the perfect example of humility, isn't it? He didn't grasp hold of his position with God. He let go of that position beside him and came and entered into, our, into this world. And he came and entered into this world for us, for you and I. He became a slave. He became a servant. 
He was the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Over everything, he came and became a servant. He lived on this earth. He ate and drank and walked and got dirty and got muddy and felt everything of this broken world and went all the way to the cross. The God of all eternity dies for us. That is phenomenal other person commitment, isn't it? That's how much he loves us. That's how much he desires us to be in his family forever. How much he desires us to be, have our passport stamped with his name to say that we have a passport into eternity, into heaven, that we are citizens of heaven because of him. And Paul says to us to have that same mind, have that same attitude, have that same character, that you and I are to humble ourselves the way that Jesus has humbled himself for others. And at the end of it, in the next part in verse 9, it doesn't finish there, does it? Humility doesn't end in death. Humility ends in exaltation. Look what happens in the next verse, doesn't it? Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him his name above every name. God lifted him up, raised him up and placed him beside God, right the right hand of God. Gave him the name above every name. It's almost like, you know, the bit before, it's sort of you can feel it sort of slowing down, getting to the cross and then bang! It explodes with guitars and trumpets and everything praises God to say that Jesus has been brought back from the dead. He didn't stay in the grave. He's alive. He lived for another 40 days and then he ascended into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. In a couple of days, it's actually Ascension Day. I don't know whether you've ever heard of that. Uh, 40 days after Jesus died and rose again is the day that Jesus came back to life. Ascension Day, it's a great day, it's a celebratory day. Maybe we should celebrate as much as we do Easter, as much as we do Christmas. This is a day that our heavenly our Jesus is raised to glory and stands beside the Father in intercession for us. And the next part says, doesn't it, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. This passage has jumped a little bit further now to the day when Jesus returns, and not just when he was risen and was with the Father, but this is the day when he's going to come back again. At that point in time, there is going to be absolutely no doubt upon anyone, anywhere, that Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah, all right? It's going to be amazing, isn't it? It says on that day, there's no one going to go around scratching their face and saying, well not sure he really was God you know I'm not sure he did do what he did nah I'm unsure about that really now people are going to go bang and they go wow this is going to go I can't deny it now this is it it's him every knee will bow every tongue confess across the whole of the world no one's going to be scratching in the corner thinking 
hard thing is at that point in time, it's too late to make the decision. You see, our citizenship in heaven happens before that. I'm not sure where you're at. I don't know what decisions you've made. Can I encourage you, don't leave it any later. Don't wait for that day to think, at that point I'll be convinced, because that's too late. Be convinced now. Today is a day of salvation, not any other day. Mark it in your diary. Mark it now. Today is the day to say, yes, Jesus, you are Lord. You entered into this world. You humbled yourself. You became like us, and you became a servant slave to us. You went to the cross for us. You died for us. You died for me. So that all those ifs back in verses 1 to 4 are now yours. Don't leave it another day. Don't wait for tomorrow. Because tomorrow may well be too late. Today is a day. Take it and make Jesus yours today. Trust him today. It's a great passage, isn't it? It's a wonderful passage. There is so much packed into it and we've only had a short time to delve into it and people have written theses on this and whole books on this. Uh, just to pull apart even those three verses about who Jesus is in verses 5 to 8. Uh, but in it, haven't we, as we've seen that and as we've understood what's going on there, we've seen permeating that part of the recipe that Paul wants to give us the zing throughout of this passage is that word humility isn't it? To be humble. To have the same attitude as Jesus. To be humble like him. To be humble as Paul encourages us to seek others and the interests of them. The other orientated commitment. To have that commitment to other people. Paul wants his joy to be made complete by the Philippians being humble and being unified in all of that. Because he knows in people serving others, in people reaching out to others, that they'll find their joy in making other people joyous. Uh, this is a great, great quote from C.S. Lewis. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Paul doesn't want to ground you into the ground here. He said who we are. He's, he's built us up in the first four verses, hasn't he? The ifs, ifs, ifs. He says, this is who you are in Jesus. But it's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. It takes a little while to contemplate that, doesn't it? You see, we should be the most confident people in the world, followers of Jesus. Because we're in Jesus. We don't have to try and build ourselves and puff ourselves up with vain conceit and selfish ambition. Because we're in Jesus. We don't have to send the spotlight onto ourselves. Our spotlight needs to be on Jesus. As we have our spotlight on Jesus, then he points us to others, doesn't he?
can I encourage you to find your joy in bringing joys to others? So often I think we think how we're going to find joy is by somehow filling ourselves up with something to make us better. Uh, by having some extra thing out here, by getting that new bit of that new toy or that new job or that new holiday or that new whatever it is that's out there that we think is going to be that. But in the end, it's only as we serve others and bring joy to others that we'll find that joy. Because that's the way God has made us. That's what God wants for you and I. Because as we do that, then we bring his love and his sense of purpose and his world to other people's worlds. Find joy in bringing joy to others. This is a great quote, and I know this one, this one says it's from Theodore Roosevelt. But I thought I'd put it in there because it's one that we've had around our house for a little while. Comparison is the thief of joy. You see, vain conceit and selfish ambition is saying you want to be better than this one over here. You're comparing yourself to whoever's over here. I want to be better than. I want to have this. And that destroys joy. It's a thief of joy. It removes joy. We want to have to compare ourselves. Because why? Because we're in Christ. We don't have to compare ourselves to anyone else. If we've had all those four ifs, we don't need to go and look at anyone else to make ourselves look better or be better. Humility. It's the zing that comes through this passage. It's the zing because that is who Jesus is, the humble servant who gave up all that he had for us. I encourage you as you live your lives worthy of Jesus, as you set your spotlight onto Jesus, to have the same mind as Jesus, the same attitude as Jesus, the same humility as Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we take a moment to allow that to settle, as we take a moment contemplate what we've just heard and what we've just read. Lord, first and foremost, we want to say sorry, Lord, for the times that we haven't been humble. Sorry, Lord, when we've doubted who we are in you. Sorry, Lord, that when those ifs have become doubts rather than certainties. Sorry, Lord, for the time that we've doubted that Jesus gave up his all for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you bring forgiveness. We thank you that you bring restoration. Lord, we pray that our lives will be recommitted to you. That, Lord, by your Spirit, you'll do a mighty work within us to be the people who are living lives worthy of you, Lord. And that one of those character traits that runs within us through the power of your Spirit will be humility, Lord. Lord, we can't do that by ourselves. Only by the power of your spirit, Lord, can you make us humble. And in humility, Lord, help us to seek and be orientated toward others. And that, Lord, we'll find our joy 
in bringing joy to those that you've placed around us. Lord, that, may that characterise our lives as we seek to shine a spotlight on you and not ourselves. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.